Good morning. Hi, my name is Daniel Yelverton, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm honored uh, to be with you this morning, and uh, was just so blown away by uh, Easter and just uh, the amazing services that we had. If this is your second time back, like Phil said, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, I just wanted to kind of catch you up because we're kind of jumping in in the tail end of a series. So if you're a first-time guest or if Easter was your first service here, I want to catch you up on what's been going on. We're, we're doing a series called Let's Fight, and there's not going to be a cage match. There's not going to be a brawl here, much to maybe some of your disappointment, and that's okay. But it's obvious that our world has issues. It's obvious that our world is broken. It's obvious that there's darkness and there's things going on in this world that just, we can recognize it's just, it's evil, right? But often we can mistake the enemies. We can think that somebody else is our enemy. Maybe something is our enemy. Maybe a government could be an enemy. An agenda could be an enemy. A political party could be an enemy. But that's actually not the case. And Paul gives us some instructions in Ephesians 6. And this is where we kind of began and birthed this whole series was, was out of Ephesians six twelve. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's us. That's you. That's me. That's maybe our neighbors. That's our coworkers. That could be our spouses or even our exes. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And like I said before, um, a couple weeks back when I was doing uh, Truth, uh, the heavenly places that Paul is referring here is just going to be talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about the evil spirits. And so there's, there's a battle going on. There's a battle waging on around us, whether we're aware of it or not. And so we need to know what we have at our disposal. We need to know what weapons we have. We need to know what's going to be effective. And so that's what we've really been covering throughout this series. And right now we're in the third, which is prayer. But I want to give you a little bit of a summary of the first two if you're a first-time guest, and if you have time, download our app, go check out our website, because you can see all of our previous messages. You can also just go to our YouTube channel and just watch our services, and so you'd get a chance to check out all of the messages up until now, because right now we're in the sixth message. And so we started out laying a foundation of truth, because without truth, without a foundational understanding of truth of who God is and who we are and all that we all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf we will be open to every single lie that's around us we will be open to every single label that someone wants to put on us and so often we receive labels from people that don't have the right to label us because as we learned when we studied truth the only one that has the right to label us is the one who made us the one who bought us, and the one who identifies us as our own. So we have to understand that truth is a place where we fight, and truth is also how we do battle. The second thing we looked at was worship. And worship, we talked about, is not just singing songs like what we just did. Worship is actually a lifestyle. Paul tells us in Romans 12.1 that we worship by offering our lives as living sacrifices. And so the way we live shows what we value and shows what's worth it, what we spend our time, our resources, our money into. That reveals what we worship. 
And Romans 1 said that from the beginning, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We misplaced our truth. And because of that, we worship the wrong things. We worship things that were created instead of the creator. And so when we don't have truth, we misplace our worship. And so now we're talking about prayer. And two weeks ago, Dennis, one of our elders, opened up the idea of what prayer is. That prayer is a connection, is a connection to the Father. It's drawing us in intimacy to the Father. And he also addressed some big challenges that we face with prayer. Because with prayer comes unanswered prayer. How do we find joy in unanswered prayer? And I don't want to go into all the details because I'll probably be up here just as long as he was, but go back and check out the message. Let it be a refresher to you because we are constantly at war to misplace or misidentify who God really is. And if unanswered, the enemy can use unanswered prayer to then convince us that God is not really who he says he is. And so prayer is instrumental in how we fight. It's instrumental because it is our connection to the Father. Samuel Chadwick has this quote, and he says that Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, Bible studies, prayerless work, or even prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And we've been going through a chapter a day through our small group season, which is coming to a close. And we started in the book of Luke, and now we're finishing Acts. And all throughout the gospel of Luke, and even Acts, it's saturated with prayer, with Jesus' dependency on prayer. In Luke 3, Jesus is praying at his baptism. In Luke 4, Jesus is praying through his temptation. In Luke 5, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus often would leave and be alone to pray. In Luke 6, before Jesus reveals who his apostles, who his 12 disciples are going to be, he spends the whole night praying. Where before he asks the disciples, who do you say I am? He prays all afternoon. And after they make the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, he takes them up into the mountain to pray. In in Luke chapter 11, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. And that would be a cool request, right? Man, what, what would you want Jesus to teach you, right? Maybe teach how to heal people. Maybe, you know, a few miracles casting out demons. Maybe, you know, teach me how to turn water to wine. That's pretty cool, right? It's a good party, party favor, right? But, but his disciples, they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because when you pray, something changes. In Luke 18, Jesus tells us how often to pray. In Luke 22, Jesus says that he's been praying for Peter because Satan has wanted to sift him. In Luke 22, later on, he commands his disciples to pray so they don't fall into temptation. In Luke 23, while on the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, and Father, receive my spirit. Jesus 
and God were connected because of an intentionality with prayer. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts. When the disciples pray, houses shake. They get boldness. The Holy Spirit comes down. People come to know Jesus. They do like a 10-minute sermon, and 3,000 people get to know Jesus because they were devoting themselves to prayer. Peter was praying over the sick. The church prayed, and Peter was released from prison. They prayed over missionaries. They prayed over elders. Prayer is such a pivotal part of our faith. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Why are there so many barriers to our prayer? And I think I want to give you just a couple barriers to kind of chew over. This is not an all-encompassing list. But I think one of the ones that we really struggle with, and this is just me being completely honest, is there's a nagging doubt in our mind that wonders how effective prayer actually is. And I know we'd never admit it here in church. But sometimes we pray and things happen. Sometimes we pray and things don't happen. Sometimes we pray or we say we're going to pray for somebody and then we forget. And then what we would have prayed for actually happens. And so there's this kind of nagging doubt that we have in our mind about the effectiveness of prayer. And we wrestle with it internally. And I think that's a barrier for us. And that's a challenge that we're always going to face. And Jesus, even when he taught us how to pray, he immediately went to the issue that we have with unanswered prayer. What do we do with unanswered prayer? What do we do when God answers our prayers differently than how we ask? I think another barrier that we have with prayer is there's this weird sense of guilt or embarrassment. You see, prayer is a spiritual discipline, just like many other spiritual disciplines. We can read our Bible, we can come to church, we can pray, we think, okay, those are the disciplines that we need to get closer to God. But I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like my ADD is on steroids when I pray. Do you guys ever feel like that? You guys ever start your moment of like when you're going to pray and then like 30 seconds, a minute into your prayer, you're like already thinking about the show you've been binge watching on Netflix. You're thinking about the things that you have to do today. All of the lists of things kind of come up and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so unspiritual. I can't get this right. And the sense of guilt and embarrassment comes up, or maybe we don't say the right words. Maybe we prayed something and it was in a group, and maybe it was, sounded foolish or we just didn't say it right. And I think there's another barrier that kind of comes with that. And Jesus, he taught his disciples how to pray. And that's really important because I think sometimes we can come into prayer thinking that we just should be awesome at it immediately, right? But prayers is just like any relational connection. It takes time to build intimacy. But sometimes I think we learn a kind of Christian lingo or Christian code when it comes to prayer. You know, like we start using like King James Version words that we never ever use except when we pray. And so there's these these and these thous and these those and everything endeth and effeth and it's really um, confusing. 
Or we feel like we have to hit like a, a just counter, you know, like, God, I just want to thank you just because you are just and you are good and I just, 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 just. And we really hope that if we hit just the hundred, hundred mark on just, he'll hear our prayers. You know, or we'll, we'll we use weird phrases. I've said this before and I love this one, but when we pray for a hedge of protection, right? What is that? I know where it comes from. I know it comes from Job, but like, it's a hedge. It's, it's, it's a bush, right? It's a bush of protection that we're praying over ourselves. And, you know, I don't know. Tim Hawkins, he's a really funny comedian. He says, can we do like a wall maybe? Like, you know, like a huge barrier of protection instead of a hedge? Or we pray for people's hands instead of for them, you know? So we have our meal and we pray for the hands that made it, right? We don't bless the whole person. We just want their hands to be blessed, <laughs> Does that make any sense? You know, like my mom, she's got super blessed hands. The rest of her, whew, there's issues, but those hands, they are blessed. You know, so we get, these, we get these barriers. We get these things that happen with prayer. And so we don't know where to start sometimes. We have a lot of roadblocks. And I think the goal for prayer is not that we just say the right words or that everything comes out really smoothly or that 100% of our prayers are answered. I think the goal is that prayer connects us to our Father. And it takes time. It takes time to get to know Dad. It takes time for us to receive everything that Dad has for us. And so there's a lot of really practical things that we can use to learn about prayer. We can dissect the Lord's Prayer, and we can see that, that Jesus started with praise, and then he went to repentance, and then he went to asking, and then he went to yielding, and I think that's all really good. But today, I just I wanted to focus on one thing, because just like we said earlier, there's a lot of barriers to prayer. There's a lot of things for us from being able to pray, the frequency of our prayers and how we pray. And I think there's one major determining factor for how we pray and how often we pray. And that is our view of God. You see, when we pray to God, what, what, what are we praying to? Who, who are we talking to? And not only that, who, how does he see me? Because if we pray to God and we call him creator, he is creator. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with calling God the creator of all things. Right? But he's created everything. So what would distinguish me from maybe something else? And so when Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray, he starts out. And we've, we've, we, we could literally sit here and say the Lord's Prayer. But he starts out with our Father. And we just breeze right by that. No one had ever in ancient Judaism, in the Old Testament, had referred to God the way Jesus just said it. He said, Abba, Daddy, Dad. And I think when we begin to see God as dad, things start to shift in our prayer. You know, 
There's only two human beings, two people on this earth that can call me dad. And when they say dad, dad, I, I, I need this. Or dad, will you hold me? Those requests are highest on the list. Nobody else can come with me, come to me and say, Dad, except for my son Judah and my daughter Hannah. And so when we come to God and we say, Dad, that carries a completely different weight. That brings us to such a closeness and an intimacy that no one else has that's outside of the children of God just like no one outside of my children can do that. And I know that when we say this, when you call God dad, that comes with issues. That comes with complications. Not everybody has had a good dad. Maybe your dad's been distant. Maybe your dad's been abusive. Maybe your dad... It's just not there. And so when we call God Father, sometimes it's just a little distorted or a lot distorted. There's a, a movie called The Heart of Man, and the author of The Shack, William Young, said this about his earthly father. He said that it took him 50 years to wipe the face of his earthly father off the face of God. And that broke my heart. And so I don't know your story. But I assure you that God does. And I assure you that it breaks the heart of your heavenly father. That your earthly dad missed it. But don't leave the show because the opening act is bad. Stay for the headliner. Stay for the main event. Stay for the one who calls you his own and from the beginning of the world chose you, adopted you, and loved you. That is dad. And so if God is our heavenly father, things are different, right? Because if God is our father, then, the, then we are his sons and his daughters. Those of you who have, have kids... Do your, children's ever, do your children ever ask for anything? And if they do ask, how do they ask? They don't necessarily try to say the right words or maybe hope that they're going to say all the right things and do the right things so that we will answer their request or say yes. No, they're bold. They're brash with their request. They are persistent almost to the point of like, you know, nails on a chart. We're like, dig, 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 dig. Dad, 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 dad. And it's no coincidence, right, that Jesus tells us to come to the kingdom of God like a child, a little child. It says this in Luke 18, 16 through 17. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the little children or let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. 
Paul Miller, who wrote the book A Praying Life, said that when we slow down to pray, we are immediately confronted with how spiritual we are. It was like one of the barriers I talked about. We find it difficult to concentrate. We say the wrong words. What are other people thinking about this? But in contrast, children are never frozen by their selfishness. They come just as they are, totally self-absorbed. Jesus tells us to become like a little child when we pray. And how do little children ask? They just say what's on their mind. They have no awareness about what's appropriate or inappropriate. This isn't just a random observation about how parents respond to little children. This is the gospel. God wants you to come to him like a little child, which means you can come to God with all of your messes, all of your issues, all of your lack of understanding, all of the things that you struggle and wrestle with, and you will be received as a father receives his child. That's what we want here at ECC. We say, come as you are. You don't have to dress a certain way or act a certain way to come in here. We want you to come exactly as you are because God has received us exactly the way we are in our messes, in everything. But why do we feel like we need to have our praying all together when we've already been received by God with the messes that we have? What happens, what happens if we fall asleep when we pray? Bill Johnson, pastor out in Bethel, he says this, that, that and we're talking about how God receives us when we fall asleep. He said, I never was angry at my children when they fell asleep in my arms. What happens if we get distracted? What happens if we lose our train of thought? How does God respond to you? You see, my daughter, she just started walking, and she looks like a a monkey walking down a hill when she walks. It's hilarious. (laughs) And it does this thing. Um, And she's uh, 16 months, and our son who's now three, started walking when he was about 10 months. So there was a six-month difference between them walking. So when Hannah started walking, how do you think I responded to her as a dad? Do you think I was like, oh, well, it's about time. (laughs) Go ahead. You got a lot of catching up to. You're six months behind. Hey, look, your son, my son's already running. He's skipping. He's jumping. What are you doing now? No, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I'm clapping. I'm cheering. We are so happy. We're videotaping. We're sharing it with everyone because my daughter's walking. It's her first steps. How do you think God responds to you in your first steps towards him? Do you think he turns you away because you didn't do it right? Said the wrong words? Stumbled through it? No, he's a good dad. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a perfect father. But if I can respond like that to my daughter, how much more does God respond to you when you draw to him? He wants to talk to you. He wants you to engage him in conversation. Tell him what's going on. He just wants you. Because God is our father. When we pray, he understands what we are saying even when we don't. Romans 8, 26 through 27, it says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray 
we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit is pleading for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So we don't say the right words. We don't know what to say. What do we do with that? My son Judah, he hasn't quite mastered the English language yet. And so he doesn't know what yesterday is. He calls everything in the past last day. So last day could be yesterday or it could be five months ago. Last day I went to Nana's or last day I went to the zoo or last day was Christmas. You know, it's like he has this concept, past is just last day. What do I do as a father though? I just say, yeah, buddy, that was last day. Yeah, that's right. Because I'm drawn to him and he's trying and he's working through it and he's not saying it right and that's okay. But you know what's really cool? It's because I'm his father, I know what he means. I know what he's trying to say even if he can't say it right. Man, isn't that good about our heavenly father? Man, he knows our hearts. He knows what we're trying to say even when we mess it up, even when we miss the words. Because God is our father, he also knows what we need. Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says, When we pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So every religion has this. They have their chants. They have their prayers. They have their Hail Marys. They have their verses of the Quran. There's always something that they use to repeat to hopefully break the barrier to connect to God, our Father. And so we'll do the same thing with our Christian words, right? We'll try to hit the right things, and maybe we'll hopefully connect to God and connect to his heart and be received by God. You know, when I was growing up, uh, Christmas Eve, we had this tradition. Many, maybe you've heard this already, but we would write our letters to Santa. Uh, spoiler, just in case, if we need to have any kids here, earmuffs maybe, they're... There might be something happening, so keep the dream alive. But we would write these letters to Santa, and then we would stick them on these little, the fire poker, and then we'd stick it in the chimney, and the letters would go up into the chimney, and that would be our, our opportunity for Santa to hear what we were saying, to know what we wanted for Christmas. Well, inevitably, the letters would fall off the poker and incinerate. And you can imagine that we were totally fine with that as kids, right? We lost our minds. I mean, Christmas is ruined. Our lives are ruined. Santa's not going to know. He's not going to know. And sometimes we feel like our prayers are like this. That if it's not said the right way, that's going to just fall and incinerate. And God's not going to give us what we need or what we want. And we're just doomed but God knows what we need even before we ask. And because he knows what we need, and because God is our father, we can trust him. It says this in Luke 11, 11 through 13. It says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to uh, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more does your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him 
God can be trusted. If my son asks for a sandwich, I don't give him a scorpion, right? I mean, that's just, that's just not a good idea, right? I'm like, all right, son, close your eyes. Here's your sandwich, you know? But in contrast to that, if my son asks for a scorpion, I'll give him a sandwich. And so I think there's a part of us that we need to trust God. Because sometimes God doesn't answer the prayers that we ask. Sometimes he answers them differently. Sometimes he gives us a sandwich when we were asking for something else. Sometimes the timing is different than what we're asking. And I'm really thankful for that because as a teenager and in college, I was really asking God to come through in some relationships. I'm really glad he didn't. No one can identify with that, right? (laughs) But I'm so blessed because his timing was good. Sometimes God delays or doesn't even answer our prayers because there's greater glory to be seen in the situation we're in than not. And this is hard. This makes things really hard because sometimes the easier and less bumpy road is not the best road. It's not the road that God receives the most glory. It's not the road that shapes us into the people that he desires us to be. Paul asked for this several times. He wanted the thorn in his flesh to be taken out. But God said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And honestly, that's hard. Because we think we know what's best. We think we know that if we get out of this situation, that things will finally be easy. But what if God is using this situation to be hope to somebody else in this world? God says that he's the source of all comfort and he comforts us in our time of need so that we will in turn comfort others. Maybe the situation you're in right now is going to be for a great glory that's going to be seen in somebody else because you are going to be able to walk with them through this situation and give them the hope that they need to point them to Jesus. Because God is our father, we can come to him in desperation. Luke 11 15 uh, through 10, there's, Jesus was teaching on prayer, and he, he gives this great story. And whenever you're reading a parable, you always need to find God in the parable, and you need to find you in the parable, and then figure out, okay, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? So he says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight and wanted to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived from a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out, you, he, the person in the house calls out from his bedroom, Do, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. One thing to know, the whole family slept together. So if somebody's banging on your door in the middle of the night, midnight, you've been asleep for probably about four hours or so if you've gotten the kids down, right? Let's say you got the, all the kids down and somebody's banging on the door. Parents of young kids, is that cool? You know, are you okay with somebody banging on your door and possibly disturbing your little child's sleep, right? And so, uh, but I tell you this, though he won't uh, do it for the sake of friendship, if you, keep, uh, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give up and he will give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. 
And it's interesting because God in this parable, right, is supposed to be the really reluctant neighbor that doesn't really want to give them the three loaves of bread. And the request is a little extreme. It's not like life or death. It's not like, you know, my, you know, my wife or my children are dying right now. It's three loaves of bread, right? But instead of comparing God to this neighbor, we contrast him and say, if this person who, through the persistence, was finally going to give in, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? How much more will, if you keep on asking, will God continue to show up? And this is, just like Dennis talked about last week, this is the joy of unanswered prayer. We continue to bring and come towards the Father, knowing that he's sovereign, knowing that he's good, and knowing that he will give us good gifts. And the last thing that we can do is we can come to the Father because when God is our Father, we can come continually and boldly. And if the band will go ahead and come up, I'll close us out here. So I'll summarize. There's a parable, and there's an unjust judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't fear people, but there's a widow that keeps coming back and keeps demanding justice. And finally, the unjust judge says, I'm, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. This lady will not stop bothering me, so I'll finally give her justice. And in the same way that we contrast the neighbor that's reluctant, we contrast the unjust judge to God. If you continually come to him, if you continually ask, if you bring your request to God boldly, won't he answer them? Won't he bring justice? Won't he do it in his time? You see, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. We now have access to the Father. It says in Hebrews 4.16 that we can boldly come before the throne because of God, or because of Jesus and what he's done for us. So he has bridged the gap between us. So now that we can, just like Jesus said, we can cry out, Abba, Dad, Father. And when we say Dad, that means so much more. That means we can trust him. That means that he will not turn us away when we are desperate. That if we have a need, we can continue to ask and he will not turn us away. That means that if we say the wrong words, he knows. He knows what we're trying to say. That also means that he knows what you need. That's what it's like to pray to dad. And so when we pray, we say dad. We can say all the other characteristics of God, almighty creator of everything. But you know what? He's dad. And you know, when I'm talking to my dad, I have his attention. I have his adoration. I have his blessing. He smiles at me. And you know that there's a cool verse in uh, Luke 12. It says that, uh, fear not, little flock, because it's God's happiness to give you the keys to the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? That God's happy. Dad is happy with you. He wants to give you the kingdom. He wants you to engage with him. So do that. Start today. Start praying, Dad. Start asking Dad what you need. Start bringing Dad 
into your situations. Start to trust dad because he loves you. He's proven that. Jesus has the scars to prove his great love for us. We can trust dad. One more thing, and this is just, we get, our enemy wants to discredit dad. He wants to tell us that dad is not who he says he is that he can't be trusted. And he did this at the very beginning. He convinced Eve that God was holding out. Both Adam and Eve were convinced. And so he's going to take your circumstances, your challenges, your issues, even the times of unanswered prayer, and he's gonna try to say that dad is not good, that dad is not trustworthy, that dad doesn't have your best interest at heart. And the other thing that I want us to to warn us about is that we have to shed away our self-reliance and our need to control. My son, he thinks he can do everything. So when I give him some, when he asks for a, a jar of jam, he says, I can do it. I can open it. I can do it. I can do it. And so I'll give it to him and he'll try and struggle and he'll, ugh, he'll get so frustrated. He'll get so angry. I'm just waiting for him to ask. Ask. Son, I'll get that for you. But no, Dad, I can do it. And I think we do that a lot with our life. We do that with our, our marriages. We do that with our, our jobs. We do that with our dreams. I got it. I can do this. I'm an American. I can pull myself up on my bootstraps. I can. Daddy, I can. And we struggle and we grind, and we are just so angry and so frustrated when really the gift that God gave us in the first place, all he wants to do is say, give me access to it, and I'll give you everything it was meant to be. I'll restore your marriage. I'll restore your finances. I'll give you hope. I'll give you a future. I'll take that past that you had, and I'll erase it. You're going to be a new creation. Give it to me. Release it. Because if we don't, we'll drive ourselves to worry and anxiety. And Paul says in Philippians 4 that do not worry or fret. But ask God what you need. Pray to God. Tell him what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Meaning look back in the past and see all the good things that God's done for you. All the things that God has done for you. That's his character. So give him, give him that thing that you're holding so tightly, trying to open on your own power and own strength. Release that to him. Before we worship, I want us to all bow our heads. And I want us to take about 30 seconds and I want us to talk to dad. And I know this might feel weird, this might feel uncomfortable, but I want you to come to dad like a child come to dad and know that he's going to receive you totally with open arms. You don't have to come with your life together. Bring your mess. Dad wants it. Dad wants you. You might say the wrong words. That doesn't matter. Dad wants you. So talk to God right now. Talk to your father. Know that he has great plans for you.
wants to see you experience all the goodness he has for you. So let's talk.